I'm Glenn Crooks, and this is On Frame, a weekly look at New York City FC soccer and those that impact the community in the five boroughs. Coming up, we'll preview the New York City LAFC match. That'll be at Yankee Stadium on Sunday, 3.05 p.m. Eastern kickoff. Football MLS writer John Rojas, he'll be coming on to identify the things to watch in that match. Pro Soccer USA's Dylan Butler covering NYCFC, he's also here. He spoke to both Sean Johnson and Jonathan Lewis about getting called back in for their second straight national camp under Greg Berhalter. First, a look back at the Pigeons' home opener against D.C. United, a 0-0 draw. Statistically, City with the big advantage, shots 21-7, plus a lot of pressure forcing D.C. into 25 clearances. And possession, 66-34 in favor of the Citizens. Nonetheless, Goalkeeper Sean Johnson had to come up with three spectacular saves to keep the match level. Two of those shots by Lucio Costa and one by Paul Ariola. Here's Johnson after the match. Yeah, no, it feels good, um, obviously, to help the team um, in any way you can. If it's making saves, if it's cutting out through balls, if it's just directing guys in the right spot. If I don't touch the ball in a day, I think it's it's important, um, you know, um, to to make sure that I'm, you know, always uh, focused and checked in um, for whatever the moment, um, whatever the moment needs. So, um, you know, it was, it was a good. Uh, I think it was a good game today from from everybody. Um, we limited opportunities, a few that they had. Um, obviously, um, that's my job to to save the ball and keep it out of the back of the net and give us opportunities to go forward. Uh, on the other end, Bill Hamid was sensational as well. The most dramatic save for him in the 89th minute, Alex Ring expressing himself with a diving header in the box that Hamid uh, was just able to palm away. While Johnson was named the MLS Best 11, appropriately, Dylan Butler named both Johnson and Hamid the shared man of the match in his MLSsoccer.com recap. So I think now's a good time to welcome in the guy who was my partner on the broadcast of the New York City DC United match on the New York City FC Network, Dylan Butler. Hey, Dylan. Hey, Glenn. How are you? Yeah, it was, uh, I'm sure, maybe that save made it a tie between Hamid and Sean Johnson, but it, it was definitely uh, an afternoon for the goalkeepers. Yeah, you know, Glenn, I generally hate giving shared awards of anything, but I felt like if there was ever a game to do that, you had to do it there. Uh, Hamid was very good. Sean was excellent as well. The, it's almost fitting, too, because they're two very close friends. They're part of that whole goalkeeper's union. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, was all about, it was all about the guys in the net on, on, on the day. And both uh, keepers, both uh, teams kind of said it was, a, it was a just result. So you think that Bill Hamid is still in the keeper's union? Following, <laughs> following his comments in regard to uh, Brad Guzan? It seems it. I mean, uh, unless there's different unions or maybe different sectors. I'm not sure how that works. I'm not a goalie, so I should have asked Sean that today. Uh, it's, a, it's a worldwide union. I talked to Sean a little bit after the game uh, about that, but also uh, talked to him, uh, and we heard it a little earlier, about his saves. But beyond that, and part of his sharpness and... He did so well uh, in the January camp under Greg Berhalter with the U.S. men's national team. Uh, he was called back in, along with Jonathan Lewis, for his second straight camp. But first, let's hear Greg Berhalter describe uh, how he came to the conclusion that Sean Johnson should be back in this camp. What really impressed me um, in January camp was his mentality and how he was really calm, really steady, really focused, really competed. And you see he translated that into performances early in the year. I think he, you know, he had a great game against D.C. United. 
um, and and he's he's performing really well. And he's another one who's a good guy to have in in the team. So Dylan, you get the impression that uh, not only does Burhalter feel like uh, Sean Johnson's a good keeper, but he's got the proper mentality, and uh, he's a veteran. He's he's a good leader. He's a good man to have around. Yeah, and and I spoke to Sean about that further. Uh, and also spoke to Jonathan Lewis about it. And Jonathan Lewis said that that he roomed with Sean Johnson during January camp, as well as Justin Glad, uh, Mark McKenzie, another guy that that Sean kind of took them all under his wing as a veteran, teaching them the ropes, telling him how things are done with the national team. So when you are a new national team coach, you need some of those veteran influences, especially on a, on a younger team. So that's uh, definitely what Sean brought. And then and then I think Johnson also then carried that over into the preseason with NYCFC. And, and we've seen it in these first two games as well, his, his performances. So I, I think it's uh, it was a just call up for, for him, uh, a deserved one. And uh, look, uh, we see it all the time with goalkeepers, right? They, they have a longer shelf life. They seem to mature at, at older ages. So uh, just because Sean went 18 months without a call-up, uh, now he has his second in a row. So I think he could continue to be part of, of Greg Berhalter's plans going forward. So what did uh, Sean have to say today or Dolme Talon, his head coach, or any of, the, uh, of his teammates? What was, uh, what was the reaction? Yeah, I mean, Sean's reaction was as you would expect. We see it on a daily basis. That, that mentality that Berhalter lauded, we see it every day at training so he's very even keeled uh, he he was appreciative of the call-up he says you can't take any of them for granted certainly he said it was a long january camp now there's a step up uh, obviously in competition with with uh, the, the two teams they're facing in in march and uh he's just very very happy to to get it um jonathan lewis like i like i mentioned he he's the guy now i i think I think Sean Johnson is the guy that he sees as as that veteran to to help him along the way, and uh, and, and he said the same was true of Rodney Wallace, another guy who who has made many appearances for his national team. So uh, Lewis said that Johnson was was very influential on him. Uh, a lot of it being the off the field stuff, uh, getting to training uh, early, staying late, doing the extra the extra work that, that needs to be done. So uh, these are all things that, that, that Johnson brings not only to NYCFC, but now as well to the national team. Well, that's part of the discipline that uh, the captain, Alex Ring, the head coach, Dolme Toron, the sporting director, Claudio Reyna, have all pointed to in regard to Lewis, that uh, he's close and, and the discipline side of things, both on and off the field, are maybe the only thing holding him back. So it's good to see that he's being rewarded and getting his chance again. Here's what Greg Burhalter at a, at a media conference call on Tuesday uh, said uh, about why he's bringing Jonathan Lewis back. For us, we're looking at him as the game changer, a guy who can come in off the bench and make an impact. And um, he's, done that. he's done exactly what we asked in these first two games. And now it'll be interesting to see if he can do that against, um, you know, against difficult opponents. I think that's going to be the real test of him, of him. What we saw was he did make an impact for us coming off the bench. And, and in, in both games, he had assists. And, you know, that's, that's what we asked of him. And it's hard for me not to reward a player when he gives a coach exactly what was asked of him. 
So, Dylan, it's obvious that uh, Burhalter has a role for Jonathan Lewis. I guess the question is, is he looking at that role for the senior team? Are the under-23s in the mix, and that's a better place for Jonathan Lewis? Maybe these uh, two games coming up are going to uh, play uh, a key factor in that decision. Yeah, I think the, the short answer to all of that is yes. <laughs> I think I think he's a guy who has that versatility where, where he can slot in onto two different teams. Um, the... The those are two options for for him and and yes without a doubt uh, again it's a, it's a it's a higher level of opponent uh, and Jonathan Lewis talked about that today about these teams that they're playing Ecuador Chile these are teams who are bringing largely European based players to to these two friendlies so he gets now to to see not only how he matches up at training with guys like Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams and um, and Christian Pulisic, guys who he knows and and has come up through the youth ranks with, but now he gets to test himself against the Vidal and, and other players like that, and and kind of use those two matches as a litmus test uh, going forward. And, and and mind you, to go back to your point, uh, Glenn, about the extra work, Jonathan Lewis actually didn't cut short our interview, but but he's at the very end. He said, "All right, now I have to go do extra running because it was I think it was him and." And Keaton Parks and and uh, JP Torres, a few other guys, were were, were uh, getting in some extra runs after training. So so he gets that. He he's certainly getting that part of of his responsibility. Uh, Dylan Butler uh, from Pro Soccer USA at MLSsoccer.com, who will be writing all about this for Pro Soccer uh, USA. So make sure uh, you check that out. Uh, any other uh, thoughts on Jonathan Lewis or any other comments uh, about Lewis or Johnson from uh, head coach Dome Terrell? He was very happy for them. Um, you know, it, it's always a positive thing when you have your players get rewards and, and play with their national team because generally speaking, it means they're doing the right thing for you. So uh, he was happy for both of them. He was happy for Alex uh, Kyans as well, who who will go to the Peruvian national team. Um, and, he, and he said uh, it might not necessarily be the case in this window, but he expects come come May they he, they could be missing eleven different players at different times with their national team, which obviously then tests the depth of his team. Which he's spoken with you about uh, on a number of occasions uh, about utilizing different players in different situations and and how guys will get opportunities to play who maybe haven't stepped on the field yet. So um, he 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 mentioned uh, certainly other leagues maybe around the world in Europe they shut down during those times. Uh, it's not always the case with MLS, so uh, it's an extra challenge, but but he said he's looking forward to that, uh, and it's one of the reasons why they did bring in some of the players they did in the offseason. Well, for uh, Lewis and uh, Johnson, March 21st, Ecuador, March 26th, Chile with the U.S. men's national team. Prior to that, though, it's a match against LAFC before the international break. We're going to get the perspective of John Rojas on the LAFC side. Uh, in a moment. Any tidbits from training? Any uh, insight from Dome Terrell how he might go about it on Sunday? I mean, he, he loves LAFC as a, as a club, and, and it's understandable why, because, uh, and I keep touting the We Are LAFC pod, uh, uh, documentary, but in the documentary, Bob Bradley talks all about Barcelona, and he loves Barcelona and how they play. And Dome Terrell said, you can see that. It's, it's clear the way they want to play because they have that mentality they play with a 4-3-3 um they 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 like to get up and attack uh, they like to combine the, the players know their positional 
roles. So he loves the challenge. He, he says of the teams that he's seen early on that they might be his favorite because of the way they play. And again, right, he was part of that whole Barcelona setup, so, so that's understandable. So he, 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 likes, he likes the matchup. He thinks uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good challenge for NYCFC. Dylan, I'll see you at the game. Thank you so much for uh, checking in and uh, talk to you soon. All right, buddy. John Rojas, he's the former voice on the Spanish broadcast for New York City FC. Then he moved out to L.A., so now he has the good fortune to cover both the L.A. Galaxy and LAFC. We're talking LAFC. Uh, John Rojas now working for football, MLS, and OS. John, how's it going out west? How's the weather? <laughs> hey, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Really good. Today is uh, one of the best uh, days of the week. Almost 70 degrees today. So All right. Nice. Well, we're hovering in the 40s here uh, in the New York metropolitan area, but... We'll take it. No problem. LAFC. This team, arguably uh, the team that is uh, provides the most thrills in MLS with their attacking flair. Second straight year, they're off to a 2-0 start. And you get a close-up look at Bank of a California Stadium, if anybody watched the Portland game or any other that they played at home, 22,000-plus. And it, it's so boisterous. Can you just give us a brief description of what it feels like to be there? Listen, this in two years or one year and, and a couple of weeks has uh, settled as the place that you want to be. You know, you want to feel the environment of football in MLS. The same way that we talk about uh, Portland and Seattle, right? Yeah. It's exactly, the, it's exactly the, same scene, the same thing that Bank of California is, is now converting on. It's a really great atmosphere. The supporter section is there early on. Uh, they jump and sing every single minute of the game. They have uh, already created a few traditions. I guess some of the people have seen the Falcon before the game. So, uh, and then, of course, the Scars is a really nice environment. Plus, the team has a really good connection with the people because, it's, like you said, it's, you know, it's a flair style of football. So people is always engaged with the game, what, go- what, what is going on on the field. The supporters section or the supporters group is called 3252 that's the number of seats in the standing section but is, is there any other significance to that number well is is one is that is the number of, of seats that are there and 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 of course it's, it's important for the team and for the city because it's, it's, they uh create those group of fans they got together those fans in this and this one whole organization and and they're being very inclusive i don't know if you remember uh once the once the stadium uh, was open, I think it was the first game, we already started to um, hear that uh, discriminatory chant that we used to hear in Mexico and, and many other uh, Latin American countries. And right away for the second game, the, uh, the section reacted to it. They came together as a group. They let everybody know that they will not tolerate this. And they get together with the team, with the front office, and created a, a, you know, a whole set of rules in which people had to behave to be in the stadium and you we didn't hear that chant anymore probably one you know isolated event during the whole season but, but that was it so the influence of the group is very high on the way the team is going on on a different basis of the of the organization you can see for example how they had uh, not only word but both in the way they created the bar behind the section so it has everything that the people wanted is there you know, in the construction and the design and all things. 
So well, it's a really good connection between the fans and the, and the front office. Yeah, and it, uh, a massive home field advantage for them. But they're on the road this week coming uh, back to uh, New York. And when I say back to New York, I'm uh, maybe specifically referring to Bob Bradley. Uh, he's been in a lot of places, but he's a Jersey boy. And uh, obviously no problem fitting into the uh, sun and fun of L.A. But, uh, John, what have you learned about him as you cover the team on a regular basis? Well, this is, this is a, uh, a coach that has uh, first, uh, and I probably you know that already, he doesn't like to be called coach, right? So what do you call, uh, what do you call him? Bob? Bob. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And he, and he said it any time he needs to. You know, if you got in a press conference and a reporter comes in that maybe doesn't cover the team on a regular basis and goes, Coach, first thing, please don't call me coach. He <laughs> interrupts right away. He wants to make sure that he doesn't be called coach. Second, it's, it's a guy who is, you know, has his philosophy. I mean, of course, he has a fixed section on the way Barcelona manages the midfield. Right, he wants possession. He wants to rotate the ball. He wants movement. But it's not like he wants to be like Barcelona. No, it's just he likes that way of manage the midfield. And then from there, he goes around his own ideas and his philosophy. And he's clear on what he wants, you know. And he is um, so intense on that that he can tell people like, we don't go by the rule, you know. We don't go by the test book of the football as much. I mean, of course there are positions. Of course there are uh, systems. But when we mess around with what we want, what we have, and, and, and we create training sessions to get to the point that we want, which is create a, a very big atmosphere at uh, uh, interest soccer that is, of course, offensive all the time. And the most important thing is just, you know, one thing is how you create a system or put out a system on paper. The other one is when the players start to move. That's another story. Well, that's Bob Bradley. Uh, now on to the players, and one of the players that have responded to him, uh, you know, certainly in a real positive way, uh, but he's not an unknown Mac uh, Mexican national team, uh, had a spell in EPL, a uh, longer time in Spain, and that's Carlos Vela, who was named the MLS Player of the Week. He had a goal plus two assists. He could have easily gotten a third assist, but it looked like in the official record book it's just two assists. So, But he was involved with all four goals. Tell us a little bit about Carlos, since you've been able to cover him for a couple of years. Well, look, with, with Carlos, is a really big surprise. Know, know what he does on the field, on the technical side of the ball, on the quality of the football that he plays. No, that is not a surprise. The surprise is the way he is handling the situations and managing himself, you know, because the, um, he is a guy who has been known or at least uh, sold by the Mexican media as someone who is not approachable, who doesn't want to speak, who is always um, either angry or by himself. But what we find out from Carlos once working close to him is totally the contrary. He is a guy who speaks, who is, he is a guy who helps his teammates, who is always willing to um, uh, be around. Um, matter of fact, he wasn't the captain the first season because Laurent Simon was there. But right after Laurent Simon uh, went to France, Bob Bradley spoke with Carlos and told him, I want you to be the captain. And this is the very first time, in, and we're talking about a guy who is 30 years old now, it's the first time in his career that he is the captain of a team, right? But you can find among the group players that are so willing. I mean, everybody has a good relationship with him. The players like Harvey, Miller, Wayne, Ramirez are willing to say, you know what? 
whenever Carlos says something, we follow. Whenever Carlos do something, we follow. And that is something that Bob Bradley has praised uh, a lady about uh, Carlos because he said not only he is a really good player, but you want players that come in every day and want to be challenged. And when those good players want to be challenged and set the example, that's the kind of players that you want to create a group. So that's the big thing with Carlos Vela. Well, beyond Carlos Vela, it really is an intriguing uh, group of players, a lot of personalities. But at the back, first I look at this guy, Tyler Miller. And he's a Jersey boy. He uh, went to Bishop Eustace High School in South Jersey, but he had never really been, you know, in a in a prominent spot in a in a prominent team, Seattle Sounders too. And how did this guy uh, emerge in, in this effective way? He's he's the number one keeper for you know maybe the number one team in the league. Listen, um, I think it's just a matter of you know it does the does does the football world. I mean, it's it's a matter of chances opportunities if you have the opportunity at the right time and you got it with the right mentality you take advantage of that opportunity then you had your your, your post your position settled right and then it's a matter is just you taking care of every single day performing and doing the best of you and that's what tyler miller has been doing let me tell you first season he probably was the, the starter just for the in the meantime the team waited for another a goalkeeper that they brought in from Honduras and he was uh, he was injured, right? We're talking about Buba. And they were waiting for him to get back on the back on track after the recovery and give him the opportunity to be the number one goalkeeper, right? But Tyler Miller did so good and take so much advantage of his opportunity that when the guy came in, he played one game and went back straight to the bench. And at the end of the season, they got rid of him because they wouldn't uh, afford or they wouldn't want to spend so much money on an international goalkeeper that in this moment in time will be the bench keeper. So that speaks volumes about how Tyler Miller has been working on, on his football. And let me tell you, from season one to season two, the way Tyler Miller plays with his foot is huge difference. He's a lot, a lot better. So he's growing on that too. Well, Greg Berhalter must have noticed because uh, he was uh, involved in the January camp, not in the current camp. Uh, and Miller played at Northwestern. Career shutouts, uh, he's got the school record, 36. And last year for LAFC, uh, 33 games, 16, 8, and 9 record, and 10 shutouts. So, you know, he is a, he is a big part of the story. But you've got... Uh, You've got other guys, and we'll move off the back line because, uh, you know, the personalities could include uh, Lee Wynn. How about that? The saga of New England. He was not even with LAFC at the beginning of the season because he was in that contract squabble with the New England Revolution, and now he's in the uh, regular 11. Totally. That's, again, you know, another right moment, right opportunity, take advantage of it, give your best. He was basically on the shelf, right, with New England. And he didn't know what you know what his career will be up in, in the middle of that fight, and there comes LAFC and take him out of there and put him on the field. And it's a really good player, and gives them the mobility that they need for that midfield. Because what they do is basically like a little triangle of the midfield with a Twista being the closest to the back line, and then Winnick and Mark Anthony K, you know, floating around, uh, switching sides, going back and forth, and giving that mobility to the midfield. Yeah, Kay, he looks like a special player. Just uh, the way he moves, you just referred to it. He moves like a soccer player. He was uh, injured at the end of the game. you have any idea about his status for the weekend? Nah, it's, uh, it, it was nothing. It was only a cramp. 
and is normal. I mean, this guy had a really major injury last year. He was supposed to take one year out of soccer to get back on field, on the field. And he did it in six months. And he came to preseason and he was ready from day one. He was flying. And he's playing a really great football. He scored last weekend with a set piece that they work regularly on the, during the week. But uh, you can count that he will be on the weekend because the only thing was just a, a little cramp and, and he's fine. That was an incredible goal moving away from the goal with Guzman wrapped up. You know, he had them all wrapped up. And he still managed to get enough pace on the header to, to put it past Antonella. Well, it was the 4-1 result uh, on the weekend against Portland, and it was uh, an impressive display. And, John, you know, there, you know, there's Diego Rossi, Christian Ramirez. Uh, we just talked about Kay. Uh, Eduard Atuesta, I think he's certainly a player to watch, no question about it. But the guy that came off the bench uh, to get a goal and an assist <laughs> down the stretch, Adama Diamande. And... Uh-huh. Can you, is there, a, you know, in last year it was well publicized. He accused a Portland player who was never named of uh, making racist m- remarks towards him. Uh, it was investigated. Uh, there was never any conclusive evidence. Uh, Portland put out a statement saying almost how dare you. Uh, he didn't, nobody did anything. And then LAFC responded with a statement saying we, we stand for our player and we believe our player. Uh, I would imagine that has led to a, a little tension between those two sides. No, not at all. Not at all. No? Uh, no, no, no. To be honest, I think that was gone. That was a thing of the past. Uh, Dio is very um, focused on getting back on the field and work on the field because he had a, a surgery during the off season and he knew from the beginning that he would probably won't be ready for the opening day. So he knew that the first game of the season, he will be, you know, if he was lucky enough and the work paid off, he will be on the bench. And he was on the bench. And he came in and he scored. And he was on the bench for the second game and he came in and he scored. He's a fan favorite. You can see already flags on the, on the, on the supporters' stand with his name and his face. And he's a fan favorite for sure. And, and it's a really good competition that they're building there between Christian Ramirez, who scored last weekend too, and Adama Diomande for that center on the line of three out from. We're with John Rojas, football, MLS. Uh, he's covering LAFC, and uh, they are traveling east to play New York City FC at Yankee Stadium. How do you analyze this matchup, John? Uh, you've seen uh, New York City as well. Uh, what are your expectations? Don't discount that this thing can go to Yankee Stadium, and because of the size of the stadium, they play with three in the back, meaning Zimmerman, Segura, and the Brazilian Danilo Silva. That could be another option. I know they're working on options, and that could be one option. All right, well, how do you see the game just based on the performances of both sides over the first two weeks? Well, listen, uh, I see a game that has punch. I see a a team, sorry, a team that has punch up front, uh, movement, philosophy to play, and and a group that is, uh, they, they bored out into that idea, okay? And that is LAFC. And I see a team that is growing maybe a little or little by little. But what you saw from NYCFC from game one to game two, you saw improvements, right? You still have not found a way to get some punch. So that is the big issue for NYCFC, okay? Um, The problem that LAFC can find maybe is at Yankee Stadium, of course. They need as much wide as they can find on a field, right? Because the movement they create between Bella, Ramirez, Rossi 
uh, it's very important when they found ways why. And you don't have so much of a space on Yankee Stadium. So that could affect a little bit the movement between those three up front. All right, John. Well, great insight on LAFC, helping us preview uh, LAFC as they travel to New York City FC on the weekend at Yankee Stadium. John, good luck with everything, and uh, great to speak to you. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. New York City versus LAFC, the radio commentary available on WNYE 91.5 FM in New York, the New York City FC Network, and NYCFC.com. Before every match, we feature the pregame briefing with NYCFC head coach Dolme Taron. You get exclusive insight on his lineup choices and anything else that might come up. Airtime this Sunday, 2.45 Eastern with the pregame. And my broadcast partner will be the former NYCFC and Real Salt Lake defender and an MLS Cup champion, Chris Wingert. One final note before we close. You've heard the news this week that Sporting KC have acquired 22-year-old midfielder Gideon Zalalem, uh, the property of Arsenal the last six seasons with loan stints at Glasgow Rangers and the Dutch club Venlo. Before leaving for England as a 16-year-old, Zalalem played for the only Rangers in Maryland. His coach there... Matt Pilkington, the New York City FC Academy coach who guided the U19s to the U.S. Soccer Development Academy National Championship last year, a team that included City's three homegrowns, James Sands, Justin Hack, and Joe Scally. And also on that only side, Pilkington coached Jeremy Ebobise of the Portland Timbers and a pair of first-team members of Minnesota United as well, Chase Gasper and Carter Manley. Well, that'll do it for this episode of On Frame. Thanks to Dylan Butler of Pro Soccer USA and MLSsoccer.com. You can follow him at Dylan underscore Butler. And also John Rojas, Football MLS and Oss at JRojasA75. This is Glenn Crooks.